to read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of the Bestseller Experiment. Pro Writing Aid is so much more than just some grammar checker. It's a style editor and writing mentor all in one beautiful package. And what's more, Pro Writing Aid... Integrates with Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Go to prowritinga.com, choose your license length, and enter the discount code BXP. That is prowritinga.com, choose your license length, and enter the discount code BXP. Mr. D, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you very much, Mr. Stay. How's things going in little old Blighty? Blighty's, Blighty's, well, we're, we're hanging in there. We're doing all right, I think. I don't know. Ask us in a year. <laughs> <laughs> the word of this week is confusion, I believe. That's <laughs> the meme that I've been looking at. I just had, I just had a, an interesting conversation about uh, whether somebody can share a ride with someone in a car because it's not really social distancing. And... I was actually saying, well, give me the, the government's take on it. Or, there isn't any. And so it's just very confusing. No one really knows. All I know right now is what you can control is what you do each day with your word count. That's about it really, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Now that, if you want to create a writing habit that lasts people, you can, you can join the BXP 2020 challenge. All it takes is 200 words a day. Uh, you want to write and finish your book, create that habit, get involved. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash BXP 2020. I'm doing it. Join me. I'm, I'm posting my word count every day. I tell you what, it's been a blimmin' lifesaver. When all this madness started, all the wind went out of my sails. I, I really struggled to write. And uh, I, I, you know, I'd, I gave myself a week or so off, a couple of weeks maybe, and then got into the swing of it. And it was just knowing that all I had to do is 200 words a day really got me back in, in, really got my groove back. And my wife, Claire, she finished a novel. She started it January 2nd, finished it uh, first week of April. She's now working on the rewrites, you know, so you can, you can write that novel. You can make it happen right now. Get involved. It's kind of interesting as well, because I, I, I did a webinar with, with Pro Writing Aid. They're offering this series right now for, to help people through the lockdown. And uh, I did a a half an hour plus a Q&A on creating a writing habit for life. And all of the things I talked about were based on the experiences that we've seen from, from the near 2020 challenge. And it was amazing. I started to dive really deep into what's actually happening, the figures, looking at individual word counts and things. And I've learned so much from that process. But something that I've discovered that I want to share with everyone today, if you haven't seen the webinar, is something called Writer's Momentum. And it's a phrase I've come up with because I was trying to, I was looking at the charts of people who've actually finished their books within three months. And one thing that I've recognized in all these charts is that the writing word count, the daily word count on average picks up and it's like a beautiful line that goes up, like, you know, like a, a, the kind of line you'd love the stock exchange, the stock market to look like right now. Nice kind of gradual increase. And it's almost like there's this writing momentum that happens once you get into the groove with this 200 word a day challenge. And people are averaging four, five, six, even 700 plus words a day when they started out at 200. So this is idea of momentum. And as I study the kind of statistics and figures more, this is not a coincidence that I'm seeing. So it's something that's very valuable to you as a writer in terms of, it's the one thing that we all desperate for work. This idea of writing every day is, is quite hard to achieve in most people's lives, but writing momentum that's something that we can all achieve if we can if we have the idea of a, a goal that we aim for. So if you haven't done it yet, bxp2020.com, if you want to check out the webinar I did with Pro Writing Aid, we will pop that on the Facebook group, both the public Facebook group and the BXP team. Um, so look out for that if you want to nip over there and have a look. It should be up there now. It's definitely been my experience. Uh, like I said, I, I started working on short stories 
doing the 2020 challenge. Uh, and that really, really helped. But now I'm working on a novel and my word count has gone up from four or 500 to, I'm, I'm averaging about a thousand a day at the moment, which is great. Wow. I had, a, I, had, I had a 600 day the other day, but that's because I went down a, a research plug hole. Um, I was looking up 1930 sports cars and frankly once you start looking at that stuff you uh, <laughs> it's difficult yeah, to pull yourself away game over, right? <laughs> that and buses but the 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 other thing that's interesting is a lot of the, the same question came up and it always it seems to be the first question but what if i'm editing my book mm-hmm. because i can't have a word count so just to reiterate what we're doing is a currency exchange so <laughs> if you edit your book for 20 minutes that's the equivalent of writing 200 words so you can still bank your words you can still visit our website each day and bank the multiples of 20 minutes of editing that you've done so if you've done an hour of editing that's the equivalent of writing 600 words so you bank 600 words and that means that no matter what stage in the process you're at it's all word-based, whether you're writing them or editing them. So we want to encourage everyone, no matter where you are with your book, whatever stage you're at, bank your words and get that habit down every single day, and it, and then it and then it lasts. Hey, we have an interview later on with an amazing author, Liz Moore. So we're going to get to that soon. But before that, Mr. D, do you want some good news stories? Do you want some good? News I love story? a good news story, Mr. Stay. Cool, Absolutely, that's... I think we could do as much good news as possible right now. Yeah, no, there's some there's some really good stuff, and a lot of it is tied into the 2020 challenge because people are really making it happen. We had uh, we had a, a line from Mark Hood, who said, "I won't be making a habit of these posts, but I just hit a pretty nice milestone, having hit the BXB 2020 goal for the year." On the 1st of May, today I reached 150 days of writing every day and 100,000 words. Feels good and never too late to start your own writing streak. So he's been writing for 150 days and he's written 100,000 words. That is just extraordinary. So huge congrats on that, Mark. That's really, really good news. Brilliant, Mark. Well done. Uh, And we had, uh, had a note from Paul Ardoin who said, hey, Look who's in the acknowledgments of a paperback that just came out yesterday. I wonder who wrote that book. Oh, that's right. It was me. I wrote it. Uh, This is the book he started on the 1st of January, writing 200 plus words per day in the BXP 2020 challenge. He finished the first draft mid-February. And after an alpha reader, development edit, beta readers, copy edit, and proofing the paperback, it came out yesterday on the 12th of May. And he's put in the back a special thanks to the two marks, Stay and DeVoe, for creating the 200 words a day BXP 2020 challenge and accelerating the first draft of this manuscript. So Paul is, this isn't his first you know, book. This is, I think, this is the fifth book in a series. I'm going to look it up, but this is, um, it's just astonishing. I mean, look it's at amazing. that timeline. Started yeah. January first, books out twelfth of May. Absolutely brilliant. And you know what's blowing me away, and and, and Paul's not alone in this. There's, there are many people doing this, and it's phenomenal. Like, we love it. We're to celebrate. But what's blowing me away is we gave people a year to write their book. <laughs> Everyone seems to be doing it in less, and um, so it's, it's starting to make me realise what's possible. Um, but the fact that it's actually out, that's yeah. what's blown me away. Some people have like, you know, like Claire's finished her book, um, and now on to second, you know, second draft and like, but the fact that Paul's got everything done and it's out, it's actually living in the world. That's phenomenal. I'm looking at it right now. It's called the courtroom coroner and it's book five of the Fenway Stevenson mysteries. So there's, there's five of these now, uh, Paul Austin Arduin, uh, the courtroom coroner. That's amazing. I just. It's astonishing. Just just blows blows my tiny little mind. <laughs> January to, oh wow wow wow. Um, this really cheered me up. This is from uh, Frank Bosco. It says public declaration time. Now, if you're new to the podcast, we do ask uh, listeners to make a public declaration because it worked for us in our first year. We said, you know, give us 12 months. We're going to write, edit, publish a bestseller. And it, it worked for us and lots of people beat us to it. So we're, we're very keen on public declarations. <laughs> Frank says, this is going to be the wimpiest public declaration ever. Having reached over 68,000 words and with only one more scene to write, I'm now ready to declare that the first draft of my first book of at least 70,000 words will be finished next week. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late, I guess, is it? 
Exactly, exactly. <laughs> when I first discovered the BXP team late last fall, I had a document that was 20-some thousand words. Now, does that sound familiar, Mr. D? 20,000 words. Yeah. He'd been working on for over two years. Uh, the site helped me reimagine the story as fiction, and the 200-words-a-day target was the most obvious idea I'd never thought of. Thank you. Thank you very much. Since January 1st, when I became a patron and started keeping track, I've only missed one day, February 29th, which arguably doesn't count as a real day. Perfect. And word counts range from 211 to 641. So the next most important thing on the agenda is to come up with the title. Weird that over 68,000 words, uh, no group of three to seven of them have emerged to serve that purpose. So Frank, Frank, this is it. This is We're hearing more and more of these stories every week of people just smashing it. So Frank, huge congratulations. Uh, at the time of recording, you've got about four days left so so good luck with that uh, i've got everything close for you it's and really how brilliant as well when you when when frank mentioned you know his maximum minimum word count that's another thing that we're finding yeah. is that on the bad days it's like you're just creeping over 200 but for most people that's a good day when you think about it so the fact that you did that frank i love it 211 as your minimum and and way more than that on the good days fantastic we had a tweet from steve gallon now steve has been uh, if you follow the hashtag uh, bxp2020 on twitter you'll see all the people taking part in the challenge tweeting their daily word counts they go to the word bank they put the word the, the numbers in of words they've done then you can tweet about it i tweet every day i try and find a fun little gift that goes with it steve has been uh, tweeting alongside me as well and on may 10th he said in the good news category today this happened 126,411 words on 408 pages of his fantasy novel soul's abyss and he's got a screen grab of the last page he says this concludes book one the dark crown of the soul's abyss so fantastic he's finished his novel using the 2020 challenge steve has been tweeting every single day uh, i asked him how he's going to celebrate he says i've started celebrating by grammar and spelling checking with pro writing aid <laughs> which he said <laughs> which was so quick and easy i didn't even need to read the instructions now to try style structure and other stuff there will be gin later oh <laughs> Fantastic. Cheers, Steve. Steve. That's just absolutely fantastic. And also, we had some good news from Kylie Dunbar. Kylie, wonderful author. We've had Kylie on the show. She's published by Hero Books. And she just retweeted our, our 2020 challenge. She said, I did this for my last work in progress draft one. Got words on the page and didn't feel horribly alone. Sometimes I even remember to tweet my daily word count. And that thing of feeling alone, we all feel that when we're authors. We do feel we're the only ones at the coalface doing this, you know. And that idea of being part of something bigger, of having that accountability, of, of putting those, banking those words, it's really important, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's actually the one of the secret sources. There's about seven uh, of in them total, I'm finding. But the, one of the secret sources is is the idea that we don't have to be alone. And, and again, you know, the reason why it was designed this way to be daily rather than for a month is that we don't just write for a month. We don't, we don't just write at weekends. Ideally we, we write every day. And so this is a, this is a challenge which continues. It starts, you know, when it starts the day you start and it, it doesn't finish. And the idea, again, I, I covered a lot of this in the webinar, but the idea is, is if you can do this and it's hard to do folks, don't, don't be, don't listen to us here thinking this is simple to do. This is actually, it sounds simple, but it's actually quite challenging to get started. Once you started, it's, it's like momentum carries you. But the most important thing is that if you start writing today, no matter, you know, I, I think on the webinar, I said, if you were 65, you started writing today and you were 65 years old, you could on average still write 12 books in an average lifetime. But if you're 25 years old, you could write over 50 books in an average lifetime by just doing 200 words a day. And that's the bigger picture here. It's about becoming a prolific author without having to think that we have to write 10,000 words a day. And Steve's proven it and Kylie's proven it. It's absolutely fantastic. There's, um, there was a piece of research doing the rounds on Twitter. I'm writing Twitter the other day and uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to this. Someone does, And this is traditionally published authors. I don't think it applies to indie authors, but over 80% of published authors quit within three books and only 10% make it to six books and only 5% make it to 12. But I think one of the things, that's if you're going through a traditional publisher, because most people, they might get through book deal and that's it. But if you're traditionally published, like you say, you could have 10, 
12, 20 books published in your lifetime, you know. So this is, um, there's never been a better time, never been a better opportunity to get, to get your words out there. And honestly believe people will have better books because if you write books consistently and you're not, you know, as Ben Aronovich says, leaving, leaving the characters to, to get bored and walk away because you haven't come back to them in a month. <laughs> I, I really think it's also the quality that I'm going to be monitoring every single person that publishes a book through the BXP 2020 to see just how successful their books are. I think we will see a correlation, a trend that on average books written under BXP 2020 kind of guidelines will actually be on average more successful than an, a book that's just written however it's written. I, I really think that that statistic will, will, will come to light as we, as we delve further into this. And the great thing is we've got so many people doing it now. We've got over a thousand people signed up. So we've got a really big group of people that are doing this already. We've had over 10,000 hours of, of word writing banked already, which is phenomenal, 10,000 hours. And we're pushing, we're very close to getting past 6 million words submitted to the word count. I know there's a lot of people out there still waiting to submit words that they haven't done yet. So, mm. um, this is a big project, folks. Uh, this is getting momentum. So get involved today. Get get on it. Start today. Get this 200 words done. And then when you go to bed tonight, you know, whatever happens, you'll have written your words. And one last bit of wonderful news um, from Lily Morris, who is a longtime patron of the bestseller experiment. She, she got in touch. She said, I have news. I'm on the long list for this year's Lucy Cavendish Prize. Now, for folks who don't know, the Lucy Cavendish Prize is uh, it's 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 famous for helping undiscovered female writers launch their literary careers. It's open to unpublished uh, female writers aged 21 or over. It's a UK competition. People who have won it have gone on to get major six-figure deals with with Penguin Random House. So you've got someone like you know Claire Askew. Uh, she she was a Time September Book of the Month. You know, she's been published by Hodder. There's all kinds of authors there who've gone on to amazing careers. So that is just such, such good news. So Lily, you're on the long list, got everything crossed for the short list, got everything crossed for the prize. So keep us informed if, if, if that happens. It's really, really good news. It's absolutely brilliant news. And on top of that, do you know how Lily celebrated no, being on. announced on the long list? Do you know what she did? No. She signed up to become a bestseller experiment patron. What, what better way? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. So thank you. Thank you, Lily, for supporting the show. And on top of that, she joins in the BXP team, which is what you get when you become a patron of this podcast, when you support this podcast. You get to join this amazing private group of authors, bestsellers and bestsellers to be. And she joins on that group, Laura Shep. Hello, Laura, who is already a patron and has also been shortlisted for the very same prize, which means that two people in the bestseller <laughs> experiment team, that's 10% of all the people announced have both been listed for the, for this, for this prize. Now this is keep happening. I didn't realize Laura had, been, uh, had made the long list. Uh, it's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Under a How did I miss that? Ah, ah, right. Okay. Right. 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 Isn't that brilliant. phenomenal? <laughs> so, so two out of the 20 long lists as, happen to be the well, out of the 170 odd people that we've got in the BXP team. And this has happened before. We've had two of the top five people shortlisted for the Kindle award, which is a 20,000 pound award, which was then won by Ian Sainsbury. It, this is not, a, honestly, folks, I stand back and I look <laughs> at what's happening here. We we actually started joking about this about a year ago, didn't we, on the on the group? We started joking about Oh my gosh, you know, there's magic touch. Ha 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 ha. But now this is, this is not statistically, this is not possible. If you were to run it on a kind of a random science experiment, there is something going on here, folks. So listen, get, sign up now to get into this team because we, we, we don't know if it's going to be capped at a certain number. Um, sign up to Patreon, support this podcast and, and get some of this magic dust that's happening in this group because it is quite absolutely phenomenal. Right. And, and there's one other thing I want to bring up, but I'll, I'll bring it up at the end of the program because Jackie Kirkham, who's part of the BXP group, um, she had a dream about a writing retreat that involved you and me and nudity. So I'm going to save that for the end. If you want to hear that, stay listening right to the end of the show and all 
will literally be revealed. <laughs> My goodness me, I can't wait to hear about that. I actually wanted to share some good news as well, Mark. Ed oh, Howard. Yeah. Ed Howard yeah. wrote to us. Ladies and gentlemen, we have I have a finished first draft of book two at 73,000 words. Now, what I love about this first off is 73,000 words is, if you do the math, 200 words a day times 365. He's actually nailed the exact number of words that we said. Average book length, 73,000. So well done for that, Ed. Now, this is the bit that blows me away, though. Started give or take a few hundred words on January the 1st. It's taken me 128 days. But to give it some context, and this is the big bit, right? Isn't this? The first draft of book one took 18 years. (laughs) approximately approximately 6,408 days. This is something of improvement. I've really struggled the last 10 days and thought about giving up, fighting the urge to go back and edit, not wanting to go back and rewrite book one after this, wondering if if it's all a bit pointless. However, the mind plays tricks. The reason I wanted to write a second book was to take the pressure off myself if I didn't get interested in the first. I've got something concrete to work on with the flow. So special thanks to two marks, the BXP 2020 and everyone in the BXP team. You are my constant source of encouragement and inspiration. I'm going to take the rest of the weekend off, play some records and drink a few cocktails. So <laughs> Ed, congratulations. And again, 18 years for book one, 128 days for book two. Coincidence? <laughs> I don't think so. Brilliant stuff. So we want to say a big thank you to everyone who's supporting the show. We each each show we bring you an incredible interview. And this week, as we always say, it, it always blows us away the, the the quality of people we get on this show. But this week, Mark, you were chatting to none other than best selling author Liz Moore. Yeah. We've got to change the pace here. Okay, so we've got the New York Times bestselling author Liz Moore. Now we often interview authors who might write two or three books a year or more, but Liz spends a long time to getting to know her characters, and she can take four, maybe five years to write a novel. Now her first novel, The Words of Every Song, came out in 2007, drew on her experiences as a musician. Her second novel, Heft, was 2012, got on all the best of 2012 lists. Third novel, The Unseen World, came out in 2016. So seeing those gaps between novels, but these are all making best of the year lists. At the Now her new novel, Long Bright River, came out January 2020, was a New York Times bestseller and a Guardian book of the month uh, when it was published in January. It's a thriller about a killer targeting sex workers amid America's opioid crisis. Lee Child says it's tough, tense, and twisty. Dennis Lehane says it's remarkable, profoundly moving. It's it's you know a really, really powerful, powerful novel. Now, in the interview, we talk about she does these nonfiction sketches. She uses short stories as a testing ground, and she has this amazing way of filing her documents and old drafts. It's um, we love it when people break the rules. We love it when things do things differently. When they when they they do it their own way. When they find their own path. And this is this is really really interesting chat with Liz. Brilliant. So let's have a listen in with Mark chatting to the amazing Liz Moore. Liz, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself? Tickety-boo, thank you for asking. Um, Now, we're here to talk about your new book, Long Bright River, which absolutely fascinates me because it's a book not only about addiction, but geography and place plays a huge part of this. Tell us about that. Sure. I moved to the city of Philadelphia in 2009, and... One of the first things I did there was visit a neighborhood called Kensington in Philadelphia, which is a neighborhood that's been particularly hard hit by the opioid crisis that's going on in the U.S., although back in 2009, it was not receiving much coverage at all. So what I found there was very surprising and very compelling, and I started returning to the neighborhood. Initially, I went as part of a photojournalism project. But after that, I I went back on my own many times and ended up teaching free writing workshops at a women's day shelter. And so over the course of about a decade, I started to write first nonfiction and then fiction about the neighborhood. And the sense of place in the book, I guess, comes out of that uh, real life neighborhood. Although, of course, Long Bright River is fiction. But yeah, the geography of the neighborhood is very important to me. And the central relationship in this story as well is is one of two sisters, which is 
I hate to say it's kind of an unusual one for fiction, isn't it? You often see, you know, there might be couples, there might be a romance, but certainly the idea of two sisters, I mean, for me, the big obvious one is Frozen, mm, right. which is very, very, it couldn't be more different. But we rarely see that uh, told in fiction. What drew you to that? Well, I have a sister myself. She's seven years younger than I am. So when we were growing up, I felt sort of like parental toward her. I felt more like a parent than a sibling. Now, of course, we're both adults and we have a very close relationship that has evolved into one where I think we support each other a lot. And she would want me to be very clear on the idea that she's not, (laughs) Casey is not modeled after her. Casey, the younger sister in the book, is suffering from addiction to opioids and goes missing at the start of the novel. Um, And my sister is not, she is a very high functioning individual. Anyway, yeah, I think the relationship between the two main characters was important because they were very bonded as children because they went through a very difficult childhood together, but have grown estranged as adults. So at the start of the novel, they haven't spoken in about five years, mainly due to Casey's addiction. But I think what creates good narrative tension in, in a novel is having certain forces that are pulling characters together and others that are pushing them apart. And with these sisters, those two forces very much existed. Excellent stuff. It's interesting because we do write from a personal place, but you do have to draw that line between your real life and, and you know, clearly the characters are not based on your sister, but in any kind of fictional relationship, there has to be a kind of a, a universal connection, doesn't there? I think people need to read this and recognize that relationship, don't they? Was that on your mind when you were writing? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. For me, at least, my fiction has to have some kind of emotional autobiographical spark even if the the circumstances of the characters lives are very different than my own which in this case they are but in order to write authentically about that sister relationship I was certainly drawing on some emotions that I've felt personally and then sort of spinning them into different different facts different circumstances for the sisters you talk there about writing authentically. Uh, the book talks about police corruption in uh, Philadelphia PD. It's, it talks you know, critically about that. We've had lots of crime and thriller writers come on to the podcast. They talk about doing research. They, they talk about getting to know police officers and asking them crucial questions for research. They even go and do ride-alongs with cops. When you're writing about police corruption and it's contemporary, it's in the now – that must create problems. You, I guess you can't just you know, turn up at Philadelphia PD and say, hi, I'm writing a novel about police corruption. Can I have a ride-along, please? Did that cause problems and, and how did you overcome them? So I, was, I did go on a, a ride-along and I was forthright about the fact that I was writing a, a novel set in Philadelphia in which one of the main characters was a Philadelphia police officer. I didn't go out of my way to talk about <laughs> the corruption that occurs in the book. <laughs> but I think, you know, they're probably pretty guarded anyway whenever they hear that a novelist is writing about the PPD. So they granted me a ride along, but they assigned me to a community relations officer who took me through a neighborhood adjacent to Kensington, not Kensington itself. So most of my uh, research on Kensington was separate from that ride-along. What the ride-along did afford me was the opportunity to ask a lot of questions of the officer I was riding with about just the facts of what happens on a, a shift from start to finish for a patrol officer. And he was uh, he was actually very helpful on that front. And again, going back to the authenticity idea, you moved to Philadelphia 10 years ago. I read somewhere that you, you, can, you take your time writing a novel. It can take you maybe four or five years to write a novel. And you've, you, you've written nonfiction about Philadelphia in that area, in Ken, the Kensington area. Was that simmering away in the background? When in that 10 years did you think, actually, I need to fictionalize this, I need to write a novel? And how much of that nonfiction research went into the, the finished book? I, I began writing like nonfiction sketches about the neighborhood as, as soon as I set foot there back in 2009. And I published a photo essay with the photographer I was working with about the neighborhood in about 2012, I think. I wrote a short story about 
these two sisters at some time around there. I can't remember exactly when, but it wasn't working. And I was at that time I was at work on a different book of mine called The Unseen World. So I just set that short story aside thinking maybe I'll return to these characters someday. And once The Unseen World was done, I thought I, I was considering what to write a novel about. And this those two sisters, although that short story wasn't successful, really called to me as characters that I thought I could spend many years writing about. The short story, in the short story, Mickey was not actually a police officer. And I think maybe there wasn't, there just wasn't enough narrative tension to sustain a novel in that short story. So it was only when I, I came across the understanding of the, the idea that Mickey might be a police officer that suddenly the rest of the book began to take shape in my mind and there seemed to be enough narrative tension to sustain a novel and enough possibilities for story to sustain a novel too. That fascinates me that you said something there that you discover a point where you can, you know you can spend years writing about these characters. So is that the, yeah. the tipping point for you? The, and is that where you start first and foremost? You're not a big outliner, are you? You, you? you get to know your characters. Is that your process? Yeah, I typically begin with characters who really interest me. And I try to develop a strong understanding of those characters. And I also usually know the place they are, the time and place. And I know that what the problem is that they have. And then how they solve that problem is what takes me a very long time to figure out in the writing of the book. So I don't, yeah, I don't work from an outline. I just kind of like try to get them to do stuff and then bring them back and then start, try to get them to do other stuff and bring them back and try to, you know, I spend a long time trying and failing in different directions before I make much forward progress in the novel. And I think with the short story, I knew one of the problems, which is that Casey was suffering from addiction, but I didn't know any of the other problems. And there needed to be more than just that problem to sustain a novel. So that's, I think, why it took me a while to feel ready to start. So you're I've always said the process of writing is failing a little less with each pass. So that, yeah. that really rings true to me. Um, what format are you are you exploring these ideas and these characters in? Is it in short stories or is it just in sort of little spots of story that eventually become a novel or are you working chapter by chapter? How are you developing those those characters? What medium are you using? I typically start with a Microsoft Word document that I just write within single-spaced <laughs> Times New Roman 12 font. And I write and write and write until I start to think, okay, this isn't working, or uh, until I come up with a much different direction, um, at which point I will do a save as and just create version two and either start over or just completely modify the text in the direction that I want to modify it. So by the end of the writing of a novel, I have like hundreds of documents all within one folder about the novel, all of which are slightly different. And sometimes, usually I just work from memory, like I'll have, you know, novel 4.1, novel 4.1.2, novel 4.2.7, <laughs> you know, and I can typically remember what the idea was that was different. Maybe it's a complete shift in point of view, or maybe the novel opens at a much different point in the narrative, or there's a new character that I've introduced. That's all from memory. Occasionally, I'll get so mired in the different versions of the story that I start naming the documents things like, you know, novel 4.2 first person POV or right, whatever right. to give me a hint so that I'm not like <laughs> relying solely on my memory. That's really good yeah. to know. Excellent yeah. stuff. And through that, you get to know your characters. You, you mentioned this started as a short story. You write a lot of short stories. Do you use those as a kind of testing ground for novel ideas or do you prefer them to be their own thing? I usually have a sense when I begin to write a short story that maybe it could be a novel, but at a certain point in the writing, I often will decide, no, this just really wants to be a short story and I'll focus on it as that. Right now I'm working on a short story that I think has certain things in common with a novel that I eventually want to write, 
but I'm thinking of it as a separate entity. I know that it will only be a short story, but it might, in some ways, it does feel like a testing ground for ideas I might explore at greater length in a novel. Excellent. What makes a short story distinct for you? Uh, what makes you think, okay, this is going to be a short story, this isn't a novel, or maybe you're all halfway through, think, actually, I can expand on What is that? Is there one thing that makes you think, actually, this will be fine as a short story, I'm going to stick with that? I think it's just, if I can see the end in sight pretty early on, and I can, and I understand what the narrative arc will be, and it feels... I don't know, just more condensed or compact than it probably wants to be a short story. If I can't see the ending and see many, many possibilities for where the piece could go, and I write and write and write, and it starts to just feel bigger and bigger than that, I start to think, well, maybe this wants to be a novel, I guess. Okay, okay. I'd like to talk about your your sort of daily routine, because I heard somewhere that you just turn everything off, you turn off all your technology, you, you just shut yourself away. Does, does that, that's how it works for you. Yeah. I When I'm really in the middle of writing a book, I'm very disciplined and I I have small kids and I, and I teach full time. So usually my daily schedule varies, but the, the day before I usually look at my schedule and try to identify where in the day I can write. And then I will reserve those hours or sometimes even like one hour for nothing but writing. And I, I disconnect completely from the internet using a program called freedom. Yes. Um, and, um, I try to have my phone far away from me. So I'm not <laughs> tempted to check email there. And then I just write and I, if I come across something that I know I need to research, I will just put it in bold or put it in a different color font so that I can return to it later. I'll make something up on the spot and then I know that I'll have to correct it later. But I try, if I, if I let myself do research simultaneously, I'll often just like go off, go down rabbit holes that I can't return from and end up doing nothing but reading during a writing session. So I try not to do that. That's great. And again, that thing of just having a, a finite period of time of, of blocking out the hour, it helps to be focused, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It's, I, I don't feel at ease with myself and I feel a great sense of like guilt if I don't honor that commitment. So I try to be conservative in my goals for myself, but I do try to meet them you know, even if it's only for an hour or even if it's just like 250 words or something, I, I try to make a goal that I can m- meet. That's great to hear. We're running a thing on the podcast yeah. at the moment. We're, we're saying to people, you know, talking about setting daily goals, we're saying to people, just set yourself a goal of 200 words a day, put aside 20, 30 minutes. And the feedback we've had from our listeners has been amazing. A lot of them are smashing that that word daily word count and, and writing a lot, lot more. But just having that simple goal makes a huge difference, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. And that's like, if you can derive self-worth as a writer just from meeting those goals and doing and practicing writing, then I think that's a much healthier way to look at writing than any any other metric. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Now, some very exciting news is Long Bright River uh, the film rights have been acquired by Amy Pascal. Now, listeners, Amy Pascal is a legend, a Hollywood legend. She's producer of films like Little Women, The Post, Molly's Game, as well as all those hugely successful Spider-Man movies recently. That must be just the most amazing news. But you're involved with the screenplayers as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm uh, attached to write. Okay. Cool. Yeah. How, how far down the road are you with that? We have a draft um, that's in now it's sort of like in process revising and things like that yeah okay yep because novel writing tends to be quite a solitary experience like say you're shutting the door you're having that hour here or there screenwriting is a lot more collaborative uh how are you finding that so far that difference it's interesting there's a lot of talk with producers for me at least there was a lot of conversations with producers prior to actually writing the draft. So we sort of worked out like where the turning point, the frame of the story and where the turning points would be and that kind of thing before I really got to work. So there's some 
I had some confidence knowing that everybody was sort of on the same page about the arc of the script. But then, of course, as you as I sat down to write the script, I just in the process of writing, I made some discoveries that required um, further conversations about modifying what we had talked about, which isn't entirely surprising. I think the the actual act of writing often produces new understandings of the character in the arc and and they were on board with that. They they were happy to see to hear new ideas as I wrote. That's great. It's a big book yeah. as well. It's about 450 pages long, you know, thoroughly researched, took 10 years of, you know, of research and writing and putting it together. And now you've got to condense that into a, a two hour movie. Yeah. I guess there's some difficult choices to make there about stuff that gets cut. How are you, how are you working around that? How, how are you finding that experience? It's actually pretty satisfying to the point that in writing the screenplay, I've started thinking, like, why didn't I just make that decision in the first place in the book? Um, and I have joked that in the future, maybe I'll write a novel and then adapt it preemptively into a screenplay and then go back and re-edit the novel before I publish the novel. Because there are certain things that you realize could have probably been more streamlined. <laughs> Yeah, that said, you know, it would be a different there's something much there's so there's something so immersive about novels that it wouldn't have felt the same if it were two hundred pages shorter, I think. No, absolutely. Not they're very, very different creatures. And I think you need yeah. you need to let a novel allow it to breathe and to to yeah. get yourself in the mind of the character in a way that movies simply can't do. And and that's what yeah. that's what this book does so incredibly well. So uh What's next from you, Liz? What's uh, are we going to have to wait another four or five years, or, or do you have something else on the go? We yes, you probably do. Have to wait that long. <laughs> um, I have something underway that I think is a novel, but I am not like definitively calling it that yet. Mostly because it helps me to, I don't know, just continue if I take some of that pressure off. But it will. All of my books have had some element of suspense or or mystery to them, even though my previous books have not been categorized as such. And this one's no different. It it starts with characters and it goes from there. There's certainly an element of suspense to it as well. Wonderful. Well, each Liz Mort novel is definitely worth the wait and can't wait for that one. Liz, thank you so much for talking to us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I so appreciate being on the show. Thank you. I don't feel so bad now, Mark, about working for so long on my previous books. <laughs> Four <laughs> well, this years. Is, this is, well, the, the, um, the publisher sent a letter uh, from Liz because uh, they sent me a copy of the book and, and it came with a letter and it says, Dear Reader, Long Bright River has been about a decade in the making. And she goes on to talk about how she did these, you know, non-fiction sketches that she talked about. And she also began doing community work in the neighborhood. So she was doing workshops at women's day shelters. She was working with non-profit organizations. She started writing short stories on the basis of that. I mean, this is extraordinary due diligence because she's writing about, you know, the opioid crisis is no joke. I mean, this is, um, and the sex industry, you know, is, this is tough stuff and you want to get it right. You really, you know, and and the reward is that she writes this extraordinary novel. It takes a long time to write, but she wins awards. She gets people like Dennis Lehane and Lee Child singing her praises. She becomes a New York Times bestseller. And it's, you know, a book for the ages, I think. And it's just, I just thought it was extraordinary, the, the way that she worked. I mean, we've talked to a lot of authors about the work they do in researching their novel and uh, I remember some really fascinating ones like Michelle Paver always comes to mind where she was up mm-hmm. up, a, up a mountain in the Himalayas with a yes. tent being dragged off by yaks and things like that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what I find fascinating about Liz's story is that it almost reminds me, but it even doesn't even compare to this, but it reminds me of what an, a method actor does mm. when they go and and live with the person that they're doing a movie about or they 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 go around in a wheelchair for for 3 months in order to kind of really get into the mindset of what it must be like to be um in a wheelchair but but that's usually for a few months you know they might take up kung fu or learn an instrument or something that yeah, they need yeah, to yeah, do yeah. as part right but but to to do the amount of research and and not just research i mean becoming actively involved in the in the very thing that she's writing about for so many years must have given Liz such an incredible 
deep insight and an authentic insight to be able to write with this, this, this ability to get into the minds of every one of her characters. Cause she's probably met them, spent time with them, talked with them. Yeah. And that, that blows me away. It blows me away. But what blows me away almost more is the fact that and it instantly comes to my mind. It's like, what would happen if you wrote a book like that for four to five years and then it, you stuck it on Amazon and, and there was just no traction behind it? What, mm. what would you do then? I mean, having spent all that time, would it be very easy at that point just to say, well, I'm giving up because I've put so much of my time and effort and life into this and it's not really being shared um, as a story. I mean, what would you do, Mark, in that situation? Well, I've done it three times so far. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, if that was like 15 years of your life for those three books. Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, you have to keep writing. I mean, that's the thing. You finish one thing, you start writing something else. And the success that we see, the bestseller success that we see, doesn't come to everyone at once. It doesn't, you know, you know but if you persist, if you keep at it, if you love your writing, you know, I mean, I, I, I worked on a movie, you know, I worked on a movie that didn't get a proper release. You know, hardly anyone has seen it compared to other movies. And that's dispiriting. But have I stopped? Do I like that movie any less? I'm really, really proud of it. All the people that worked in it, I'm proud of everything they put into it. But, you know, it didn't get, didn't pop, you know, it didn't get break out the way that you would hope it would. But you can't just give up. I think, you know, if you if if you're just doing this just to get up the bestseller list, then you're probably doing it for the wrong reason. If you're doing it to write for your own satisfaction and the satisfaction of readers, however few or many there may be, then you you'll end up doing it anyway. The trouble is most publishers know this. They know that writers will mostly write for free, which is why which is yeah. why the deals aren't exactly. as good as they could be. But something, someone like Liz, I mean, she's, she's backed, you know, she's published by Penguin Random House. This is, this is very much, you know, when I work for a publisher, this would be one of those literary prestige projects that they might only publish a handful of every year. They do their crime thrillers, their romance, their science fiction fantasy, where they have a very definite market. But this is something where they have to really pull out all the stops and make sure that it happens. It's why, why you don't see a lot of this self-published, this kind of literature self-published. It needs, I think, the New York Times. It needs the Guardian. It needs yes. the Times Literary Review. It needs that kind of those kind of heavyweight reviews to say to people who buy these kinds of books: if you only buy three, four books a year, this is one of the books you have to buy uh, because of the investment that Liz has made in in this. But to be honest, you know. This, this happens more often. You, you know, you might work on this and, and no one reads it. It happens quite a bit. I and think so. I, it yeah. Com- it comes with the territory. You, you have to, you have to, okay, fine. It didn't work, but am I going to give up? No, I'm going to keep going. I wouldn't, I think, I think what's important here is I wouldn't recommend this approach to somebody who's an indie author writing a book for the first time. Don't, don't give yourself five years to write, write your masterpiece. I think it's better to almost, if you have to do something, write a short story and get it out there and just, just get into that process of feeling what it's like to write, finish, and then release something. And, and I think when, when you get the, because I think is I do know authors like this, Mark, and I've got coached some authors who there's always something else they want to go and research and it's almost becomes a form of procrastination to actually finish that book and and then and then suddenly there's another what well, used to be a, a book tr- a trip travel somewhere in the far east to do another month of research on the yeah, book and it yeah. just and and i think sometimes we can fall into this trap of thinking the longer we take to write it the better the book will be well sometimes that isn't the case but I think something like Liz has created is almost like at the pinnacle. It's the, dare I say, the Glastonbury of, of authordom <laughs> in a sense that if you can get to a place in your life where you've had some success and you're able to dedicate and go really deep into something you feel is really important and almost do that mm. method acting. I mean, I love the, I love the idea of kind of getting involved in the community of something to really understand what's going on. Liz is clearly, you know, incredibly good at what she does she has a journalistic background so she knows the importance of a deadline but she she also you know says to her publisher i'm not going to do this in 12 months i need three four years i need you know and 
that's her deadline. And I, and I think what, what you have to remember is that while this is going on, she's writing those short stories. She's writing those nonfiction sketches. She's building this novel from the ground up in that form. And that's what struck me about this. It was, it was such a unique way of working. Like I say, it works for her. There may be a listener out there who goes, slaps their forehead and goes, this is it. This is the way I want, you know, this, this works for me. I interviewed someone today who's going to be on an episode. We've got quite a backlog, so it probably won't be too much later in the summer. The way he writes is the complete opposite. He writes uh, five chapters, gives them to his proofreader, and then has to write ahead uh, to deliver another five chapters in a couple of weeks to that same proofreader. He says it's like a wave coming up behind him, and he has to keep typing to keep ahead <laughs> of brilliant. his proofreader. And yeah. it's just, it's, I was just, wow, that really puts a fire up your ass, doesn't it? You know, that yes. makes me, yeah, so, totally. you know, we all have our own ways of doing things. And I know we've done a lot of interviews with people who say, oh, yeah, I, you know, set myself a deadline. I try and write in, in two months or three months or whatever. But, uh, you know, this is, I, uh, she's like, this, this book is like a brisket. You know, you, you, you put it on a low heat all day. And at the end of the day, the taste is, is so much more. Well, you know, that's sweet. the thing is that I, you know, I do think that when somebody does invest that amount of time writing one particular book and when they get it right, like you say, what you end up with is possibly a timeless classic, something which yeah, is yeah, going yeah. to stand the test of time. And, and actually what's really interesting about that is when you look, when, you know, if you look back over your life, if you were, if you're lying on your deathbed thinking, you know, what did I produce in my lifetime? What kind of books did I write? Did they stand to have, um, some level of, of significance in the world? Did they, did they change somebody's viewpoint in the world? Did they, tell a story someone's never never seen before did it open someone's mind it's that it's the book that liz kind of that the, the books that liz writes those kind of books that will have that legacy if you like longer term legacy uh, a different legacy in some ways to um to to other books so mm. i still think it's a phenomenal achievement what she's done and she's obviously found like you say she's found her way of writing and um I think it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing that she's actually accomplished. It is absolutely bonkers, really. I mean, when you think about, <laughs> I said earlier about how many books you could write in a lifetime. I mean, if you wrote, if you, if you wrote this level of book, you, you could only really put out realistically, I don't know, five or six, and even that would be a huge accomplishment. Um, yeah. So yeah, amazing. Yeah. But here's a question. If you, I, I'd like to ask this question to our listeners. Are you, are you working on a project like Liz? What, if you are, what are the challenges, but what are also the incredible things you're finding and experiencing as you go really, really, really deep with your characters and your novel? Um, I'd be really interested to kind of see what those those pros and cons are, because it'd be interesting to hear from the people that are in the middle of that project, maybe people who aren't with a, a major publisher and haven't got that support. Like, are they, are they finding it um, that they can self-motivate? going through that process have they given up on their book um do they have it as a book that runs in the background whilst they're writing five other books maybe that's mm. what a lot of people are doing i wonder if there's people out there that have got these bigger okay this is my kind of life work project and then i'm working on this series which is more of my you know not dry run for the big book but a way of getting something out there and feeling that momentum building yeah yeah it's um i, I mean i hear you when <clears throat> i i know lots of people who've spent five, six years working on that one novel. And you just will say, seriously, pull your finger out, write something else, finish it or move on, you know. But yeah. I think with, with Liz, she has a track record anyway. She's got three, you know, three novels out there already. So, and, uh, and she has that journalistic background. So knows about deadlines, knows about completing things. I mean, as we've always said, the, the first major accomplishment for any author is to finish it. It's one of the <laughs> greatest pieces of advice you can give to any author. Just finish the damn book then you can go back and fix it it might be a right old state but just finish it get to the end absolutely absolutely so mark um we've covered a lot of stuff that's been the good news that's been happening have you heard of um more goings on on social media these last two weeks well there was the jackie kirkham dream thing shall we shall we do that now well, I think as we should, because there's probably people hanging on. I know I have been. We have had that. This is, we've had a few. This has become a theme, hasn't it? Re listeners' dreams. Yeah. It's, uh, quite concerning. It is. It's not enough that we get in people's ears. Um, <laughs> we're now getting into their dreams. So there's some kind of weird minority report matrix thing going on. 
<laughs> for which I can only apologise. <laughs> but do you know as well? Do you know? Do you know? I'd love to. I'd love to have a, like an artist impression of what we actually look like in people's dreams because I always remember as a kid when I used to listen to radio, I would always hear the voices of my favourite DJs, and then I was really disappointed when I saw what they actually looked like. I'm like, oh, that's nothing like. That's nothing like their voice sounds. So for people that don't know what we look like, I kind of wonder how we show up in their dreams. I would just love to have an artist impression. The other thing that happens, if, if, you, if you meet a listener, if you meet a listener, well, I, I doubt you do out there in Manco, apart from the people I don't you very already often. know. I have, but I have met a few. I, but I've met some of our listeners. And what happens is for the first few minutes, they stare at you slightly askew. <laughs> and they just, some of them will apologize. Go, I'm really sorry. It's just really weird hearing your voice in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Which is really odd. I love it. Anyway, so Jackie. Jackie, kind touch. I haven't asked Jackie. Well, I did ask Jackie if we could read this out. Jackie (gasps) said, there haven't been any bestseller experiment writing retreat related silly dreams recently. So allow me to correct the balance. Last night, I dreamt that I was at a bestseller experiment writing retreat. Now, we've we've had people ask for these, haven't we, Mr. D? I yeah, mean, yeah, I don't, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, we're going to have to do one when all the We will have to do one one day. So, yeah, absolutely. One day, one day. Yeah, yeah. Caribbean or something. Um, the sessions were all led by Ian Sainsbury. Now, for listeners new to the podcast, Ian was the winner of the Kindle Storyteller Award, longtime patron of the show, best-selling indie author. So Ian led the sessions, who turned up with reams and reams of paper teaching notes, <laughs> which turned out to be the unfinished first draft of his autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> I like this dream already. It's I, dread, brilliant. I dread to think. All right. Meanwhile, Robin Sarti. Now, Robin, again, one of our oldest listeners, uh, really, really wonderful member of the group, really helpful. And she's Longest running. running. Yeah. Longest running, yeah, not yeah, oldest. Yeah. <laughs> I think Meanwhile, she's quite young. Robin Sarti skived the morning session. <laughs> that doesn't sound like Robin. Skived the morning session because she went to the nearby co-op to buy ingredients to make us all cakes instead, <laughs> which she then charged us £3.50 for. <laughs> Brilliant. Mr. Stay didn't turn up at all. He phoned in and said he thought he'd get more writing done if he stayed at home. Yes. <laughs> so that, that really rings true. That really rings That's true. That's funny. And then Jackie says, and apart from a small towel, I was naked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Sadly, I woke up before we got to the epic water slide. So it's... <laughs> It's content like this, folks, that you're going to find on the exclusive bestseller experiment group on Facebook, which if you're a Patreon chart topper supporter, uh, you get access to. But seriously, you get access to authors like Ian, who's a best-selling author. you know, we're on there. Lots of authors are on there. Queeve McDonald's on there. Lorna Cook is on there. Uh, Robin's on there. Robin's, you know, starting her own publisher now. Uh, they're an amazing bunch of people. They're really funny. We share great advice, but we also have a really, really good laugh as well. So, you know, Absolutely. do support us if you can. And don't, and dreams, <laughs> no, dreams aren't guaranteed, but are possibly very likely by the looks of it. So, <laughs> so if you're interested in supporting the podcast, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and you will find out all the goodies that you get by uh, paying it forward so thank you very much and thank you mr stay for another great interview another fantastic episode hysterical as ever they just keep getting more and more bizarre as well uh, if you've had a dream about um anything to do with the bestseller experiment please tell us it's probably one of my favorite i'd love to have a weekly slot people's weird dreams um it's one of the things that makes me laugh the most but more seriously as well if you do have a public declaration Folks, this works. Get your public declarations into us. Reach out to us. Tell us what you want to achieve with your writing. What is your goal for 2020? Um, has it been a washout so far? If it has, that's not a problem. We're only in month five. You've got seven months still to turn it around. Give us your dream for the rest of the year. Put it out there into the universe. And believe me, it will happen because you know, you'll then have that accountability. So we want to support you through that. So drop us a note. And Mark, people can contact us all over the place, can't they? Yeah, we're all over social media. So we're on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP. Uh, do please subscribe to us on your podcast catcher of choice because there's stuff coming you don't want to miss out on coming soon 
soon, we've got interviews with Adele Parks, James Swallow, Sadie Jones, Rachel Winters, Caro Ramsey, Philip C. Quantrell, and Charles Stross, who's a bit of a legend. So science fiction legend. That's amazing. So we've got some really, really good names coming up, plus all sorts of other fun features, all sorts of great news. And uh, it's all coming on this podcast right here. So do not miss out. And I have one last request for all our listeners today. I would like everyone listening right now to bring a friend bring a friend to the next episode think of a friend that maybe has always wanted to write someone who's struggling with their writing or someone who's absolutely flying but maybe has never heard of this podcast drop drop everyone a note on your facebook page tell them about what we're up to here if you think they could do with some inspiration bring them along because they are more than welcome so thank you very much for spreading the word because actually that is ultimately how this podcast grows spread the word amongst all your writing groups and friends mr stay thank you so much i look forward to chatting with you and the next episode and until then it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two goodbye goodbye, goodbye. <laughs>